0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Primary Healthcare Development Pre-Reg Pharmacy Podcast. I am still Sana and welcome to what seems to be the end of lockdown, nearly. I hope whoever's listening is really enjoying their pre-reg placements. I know that a lot of you listening are current pre-registration pharmacists, maybe even provisionally registered pharmacists. If you are that and you've not sat your exam yet, good luck. If you've already sat your exam, And what are you doing revising and if you're a pre-regd pharmacist then welcome i hope you're still enjoying these episodes this is probably one of my most requested episode titles and it's exploring the summaries of product characteristics for various medicines it's really important to understand this because obviously resource packs are heavily laden with summaries of product characteristics and unlike a lot of the stuff that you're going to learn in uni or that you're going to be learning in your first year as a qualified pharmacist spcs and patient information leaflets basically the the emc is something that you're going to be using for the rest of your life and it is a treasure trove of information i cannot big it up enough so let's jump in what we're going to do is we're going to go through each section and subsection it's going to be a nice detailed episode loads of advice i'm going to tell you the differences between them all and where else to look when you can't find something in the spc Before we actually jump into what's in the SPC, do you know how to get to it? If you just Google EMC followed by the name and the formulation, it's probably easier. But they also have a search facility in... (laughs) Facility? I'm so old. I forgot the word for feature. But they have a search feature in the website, nice and built in. So you can look for everything. They also have a load of different filters. So you can filter between palms and peas and formulations, maybe even manufacturer, manufacturers. So do have a look, it's really useful. <clears throat> but if you know exactly what you need, need to go to, then you can just search that exact thing to Google, and it'll just come right up. Um, and then we'll move on to section one, that's the name of the product. After the name of the product, which will contain the name and usually the strength of the medicine, comes section two, that's composition. That means what it actually contains. That sounds a little bit obvious, but those who have ever dispensed things where equivalences are important, like limacycline, you'll know that 408 milligram capsules have 300 milligrams of actual tetracycline base. That's the active form of the drug. So it's really important, important to be aware that SPCs, they're not just reference material for when you have a clinical issue, It helps you when you're tutoring technicians, when you're working as a dispenser, when you're working as a healthcare assistant, when you're working as a pre-reg pharmacist. I know that so many times the strength of something has been so bizarre, like really weird numbers. And then you go into the SPC and section two tells you what it's actually equivalent to and that's how you can dispense it. Because some prescribers, like some doctors, they just don't know that they come in equivalents so They'll prescribe the actual active drug concentration. Very important to be aware of. Very important to never forget. On that note, it's also important to not forget that a lot of the information that comes in an SPC is also available somewhere else. Remember, this is just the stuff that the manufacturers shared. There are other things, so unlicensed indications can be found in the BNF. Um, Equivalencies can also be found in the BNF. You can find uh, toxicities and how to sort them out in ToxBase, and conversion tables can be found in the BNF. If you've got medicines, medicines complete, that's usually got almost everything that the manufacturer has ever published anyway, and stuff like Martindale, interaction between Stockleys. So don't just think that this is me being a cheerleader for a species and you don't need anything else all of these resources work together in parallel and you have to understand where is the best place to go. Section three is formulation. That sounds a little bit uninteresting, not so cool either, but remember we've just been through and are still going through a lot of us, the lockdown, the pandemic, the increased burden on community pharmacies and GP surgeries. So a lot of you guys who have worked in those sort of sectors will know how different the workload has been. So you might have patients who've just come out of ICU who can't swallow so much, who might have had really random surgeries that they were not expecting, who might have scar tissue or something else blocking their um, esophagus. So they need a different formulation of of the same medicine to try and get them through through their recovery. Also, whoever's been working in secondary care, acute hospitals, even I have been working in private health care and our workload has been so different as well. So this sort of section that might seem a little bit irrelevant is really relevant because you don't want to do all that research just to realise, oh no, I've been looking at tablets when I needed capsules I usually you need tablets when you're looking at capsules or trying to find the the right kind of patch, trying to find the right kind of solution, trying to find the right kind of suspension. It's all really important when you're trying to work out how to give your patient the best care. Now we come to section 4, that's clinical particulars, that's all the indications, how to administer, all the cool pharmacy bits that we associate with what we usually care about, like what to do in overdose, how it's going to affect the patient's interactions, all that kind of thing. Section 4.1 is indications. This is important because although this is actually a running theme with SPCs, it all seems obvious, but it's brilliant because... In the SPC, you know exactly what the medicine is licensed for. They don't usually show unlicensed indications, which is very important. So it's all the illnesses, ailments, anything else it's licensed to fix. If you're looking for something unlicensed, I would suggest you go to some other resource like the BNF. The BNF will have some unlicensed indications and the doses like metformin for PCOS, stuff like that. But if something's unlicensed usually there's not as much evidence on it than there are for license indications but this is a good section to look through when someone rings you and asks you if something's okay to give or if they've got a few medicines in their mind, like a prescriber might want to prescribe certain things for blood pressure, certain things for diabetes, certain things for a very specific demographic of patient. And then you can look through the SPCs and find out what it's licensed for, because obviously, usually, the best practice is to go with a licensed product. Section 4.2 is posology and method of administration. This is the most testable little section in the SPC. Usually one of the longer sections as well in especially for things that are administra- administered parenterally, stuff like IV paracetamol, anything that can be used to subcut like tinsoparin or daltaparin, um any of the patches and it contains brilliant little nuggets of information it's one of those things that are tested by a question that starts with a nurse on the ward calls you and you are the medicines information pharmacist that day she wants to administer intravenous paracetamol she wants to administer it at a rate of blah blah, 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 blah. and is it okay for her to administer it and then you have to know how to look for it. And this is the little godsend that you need to find and then you can advise your nurses. And this is going to be repeated multiple times, I envisaged, throughout this episode. But please do not forget this. You will almost always be asked, give at least five questions a year whilst you're qualified about infusion rates how to administer if you can mix it with anything stuff like montelukast granules you can mix with um, like applesauce or yogurt and stuff like that and give it to children so that sort of thing is really important especially when um you're working in sort of i don't know you know situations where it's not run of the mill days you might have you'll find when you're qualified that you'll have very routine days and everything goes to plan And one day, randomly, like maybe a mental health facility will call you and they want to do some covert administration. Of course, there's legal aspects and all the capacity questions that you need to ask, all sorts of things from the MEP, all the ethical implications. But then when you've had all those conversations, you might actually need to give that kind of advice. And you need to be comfortable giving that kind of advice as well. Nursing homes will always ring you as well, especially if you've got a good relationship with them. About how to administer certain things as granules or in suspensions. And um, if you're if you're a secondary care pharmacist, they'll bring in you all the time trying to administer things intravenously. You're gonna have to have that conversation. You're gonna be a newly qualified pharmacist, but newly qualified nurses will also come to you for help. <laughs> Sections 4.3 and 4.4 are very similar to those found in the BNF. 4.3 is contraindications. That basically means who cannot take it. This is important because when you're a student, it's really easy to see this and just be like, oh, yeah, you can't have it. But then in that sort of exam mindset, when you've been asked a question, or maybe even if you're working as a pre-reg or a prov-reg, Or a qualified pharmacist someone asks you a question and sometimes that little voice in the back of your head says it's not black and white there might be some greater shades of gray here and there you don't know ask this person that person this ask this resource find it out but sometimes it's really easy just to go into the SPC see the manufacturer's advice compare it with the BNF advice and if they match then usually that's that can be our answer of course there's loads of people you can ask there's always going to be consultants there's always going to be doctors it's always going to be prescribers by all means ask them but if you want to direct your train of thought and start your answer off with well the manufacturer usually says avoid there might be some better options if there are no better options available of course explore that option that's usually usually contraindicated in that patient with a prescriber but i i am yet to see a patient for whom a medicine is contraindicated and it's being used but I've only been qualified three and a half years so if anyone's seen it get in touch I'd be so interested to hear from you. Something else a bit cool about the special warnings and precautions for use section is that not only does it relate to the cautions bit of the BNF but also the patient and carer advice because it's got quirks like rationales and it's got counselling points for things like alindronic acid that can cause perforation, and it can relate a lot to that corresponding section in the BNF so if you're ever a bit worried about something or how to phrase something if it doesn't make sense to you in the BNF look in the SPC and vice versa always use your sources in parallel those who do drug histories in hospital will remember that you use a minimum of, of minimum of two sources for administration for for a patient's drug history don't let that excellent practice leave you in any sector and in any section of your work Mm -hmm. section 4.5 is interactions they do not mention all of them in the SPC the way the BNF appendix does or even Stockley's however it's good for those clinically really important ones it's also cool in this section that they include physiological interactions like uh, if breast milk or food or certain proteins interacts with the medicine, not just the other way around because obviously remember we have sections, spoiler alert, in the SPCs about breastfeeding and pregnancy because we're trying to protect the baby or the fetus in question respectively but the mother that we're treating is important as well so we always have to remember that when a woman is expecting a child or if she's breastfeeding the child both of those people are under our care so yes something might pass through the breast milk and be a danger to the baby so we might not be able to use that but what can we give the mother so that she benefits completely from that medicine as well or as much as we can get her to benefit It's a really complex decision to make. It's really interesting actually if you've got the chance have a go and sit in some um, like maternity wards or speak to some midwives or community nurse practitioners because they speak to these sort of ladies all the time and the way they make decisions is so interesting and it gives you a real tangible experience of how all of this information that we learn about can be related to real people and how it has a real knock-on effect you see the ripple of your effects very clearly when you're working on a gynae ward or a maternity ward or neonatal ICU stuff like that really interesting Section 4.6 outlines the information and advice on fertility, pregnancy and lactation. For things like chemotherapy, this is very important. Things like opioids, very important. You might not even find a lot of information on stuff like this just because there are actually dedicated platforms that that are focused on research and evidence for these kinds of patients. But I highly advise that you make the SPC your first and most obvious step in your pursuit to find information because it might surprise you. Section 4.7 effects on ability to drive and use machines. It is pretty straightforward and it can actually be found in the cautionary advisory labels in the BNF but obviously sometimes a manufacturer might have some subtle information that is not listed there. Section 4.8 is undesirable effects. This is the 3 section. It's a big part of resource part questions and it's incredibly t-word testable. It's really important to remember that conditions can be referred to in loads of different ways. For example, hypertension might be listed as high blood pressure and can be listed in either cardio disorders or blood disorders. So my advice is familiarise yourself with them. The only way you're going to become more confident and feel like a pro navigating them is if you've known your way around this section and SPCs in general, but definitely this section, because if someone rings you up in your exam and says, I feel like I have been having a cough, or something like that that can be in immune disorders it might talk about different types of immune reactions it might talk about sensitivities it might talk about respiratory disorders it can be under any of them so please don't be caught out by these seemingly friendly tables it's very deceptive and also you have to remember that not everything's going to be nice and laid out for you in a table or very common and common and all that sort of thing a lot of times the spcs actually just list them qualitatively so you have to know how to scan and search out for what you're looking for because remember there's not much time per question. Section 4.9, overdose. I personally have never really found this section exceptionally helpful, but that's because there are more pronounced things like the poisoning chapter in BNF, local guidance, talk space is a big deal. Have a word with your pharmacist and tutors to see if you've got access. It's a really brilliant resource for antidotes, what to do, how to deal with it at every stage and you might find it useful if you're in, in one of those situations where you don't have access to a computer or you don't have access to something that you can log into. So remember that it's there but there are more commonly used resources. Now we begin, begin section five with se- subsection of now we begin section five with section 5.1 pharmacodynamic properties i find this thing so cool so it is the best way in my opinion to find the mechanism of action of a drug because it's short sweet to the point precise and it's not wikipedia it's interesting, though, that a lot of them, like nephipalm and stuff like that, it actually says the words, is thought to act on. That basically means that it's a drug. We know it works in some way, and we've seen an effect. We just don't know how the effect is created. And I just find that fascinating. Section 5.2, that's pharmacokinetic properties. That's ADMI, that's absorption, distribution, metabolism, and elimination they have, this section is brilliant because sometimes you're going to get phone calls and exam questions where you've got a patient who has just started a new medication and they might have stopped it on their own because they think that they've got a new side effect relating to that medication and it's up to you to do drug detective and find out or determine whether it is that one or not. So Along with the admin, it's got the half-life peak concentration how long the effects last for volume of distribution and it's all important because it makes you think about how the drug is going to act inside the body and how the body is going to react to it whilst it's in there and long after it's gone it's interesting things like chemotherapy where The side effects of a drug last for a few weeks, but the actual drug is washed out of the body in 24 hours sometimes. So it's really important to understand that it's not just about the disease, it's about the entire person. And I think this holistic approach to pharmacy is getting more and more popular, and rightly so. So to get ahead of the game, understand that we're treating the whole person, not just what ails them. And this subsection will definitely help you in understanding that. Section six begins with six point one. That's excipients. This might feel completely irrelevant, but remember, we've got such a diverse patient demographic. People are lactose intolerant, allergic to excipients or food colorings. They might be vegan. They might be vegetarian. They might have halal or kosher diets. It's really important to understand this section and. Use it to your advantage if you're a pharmacist. Be nice and proactive. If you've got a patient who's Muslim, it's definitely not going to want something with gelatin in it if they can avoid it. Speak to them, say something like, Well, this tablet or this capsule contains this excipient that might not be suitable for you. Would you like an alternative? And they're going to be ever grateful, and that's the way we should be behaving as healthcare professionals. 6.2, incompatibilities. This is excellent for things like dimorphine, which cannot be in the same syringe driver as other other things above a certain concentration. This is also found in sections like the palliative care section in the BNF, right in the beginning of the BNF. So it's important to be aware that all these little bits do interconnect. Shelf life in section 6.3, this is important because especially for things like um, liquid suspensions and solutions and stuff like that scrub solutions as well so you might have patients who opened something by accident like a bottle of Orimov and you don't know if it lasts for how long after opening it they'll have both of the shelf lives on there and if they don't and you're still worried about it what do you do we'll get to it at the end Section 6.4, special proportions for storage. This is like, does it need to be in the fridge? What's the minimum maximum temperature that you can store that tablet or solution or powder for injection in? And it's really important in things like the extreme hot summers that we're getting because of climate change, because No matter how much aircon we've got, sometimes it just cannot deal with the warm nights or the warm days when there's loads of bodies in there. Maybe the fridge has been opened and closed too much and the fridge has just exceeded its maximum temperature. It will tell you sometimes not only how long it can be kept in the fridge for, but how long it can be kept at room temperature for. So that can help with things like insulins and eye drops and minims, stuff like that. Very important for practice stuff like this as well it's really important to share with your technicians and your dispensers because sometimes maybe it's a bit of an older thing I sound like a granny again but maybe it is a bit of an older thing that there's sort of a hold on the information but as a pharmacist I've found that it's really important to share what you've learned because it means that there's just a fresh pair of eyes every time a prescription comes through or a query comes through and the other staff members are extremely empowered and an empowered, motivated team just makes for better overall experiences and better patient care and that's what we're aiming for, essentially. And 6.5, the nation contents. What not what the tablet looks like, because that's usually usually at the top in the composition. Sometimes it might though. But, like, if it's in a blister pack or if it's in a loose thing or if it's got a desiccant inside it, what well, the box looks like, stuff like that. And finally, in section six is subsection 6.6. That's disposal. You can't just throw everything in your blue bins or your tablet bins. Uh, yellow bins exist for cytotoxic drugs. You might need to dispose of something specially by calling the council because it's flammable. I work in a surgical environment where we've got loads of, like, desofluorin and sevofluorine, They're the anesthetic gases. So... We have to ring the council every time we want to get rid of them. We don't really get rid of them a lot of times, but if we do, we need to ring them because they don't actually give us the information. But how do I know that? It's because I've been in the SPC. So have a look in the SPC before I throw anything away that you've not thrown away before, because you never know. Section 7 is actually who owns the licence and Section 8 is a number, that's like a code for this marketing authorization. It's also the number that you can search for when you can't find a patient information leaflet. If you go on the EMC, some things have SPCs but don't have patient information leaflets, that's really awkward, but can overcome it by just searching for that exact number and it should come up it's really useful the mhra has has a list of medications and they actually correlate to those numbers so you're welcome section nine is the date of the first license which i just find cool to know and uh, it's also cool if like someone might ask an offhand question and you might actually know the answer by looking in the spc like how long has this drug been uh, been around how long has has this company made this drug for remember it's not all about really intense i need to save this life right now sometimes patients just have cool questions or doctors have interesting questions you won't believe how many times i've just been (laughs) in medicine information, and randomly a drug thought has popped into a doctor's head and they've just rung me and it takes me like three days or three weeks sometimes to find the answer And it's not for a specific patient they might not see that drug like more than once a year or something but they just want to know something cool about it so we take it as a collective learning opportunity and finally ish section 10 is when it was last revised that's good for citations when you're writing your assignments and to know how up to date your information is and at the bottom of all the spcs is the name of the company and its contact details don't ignore it because a lot of the time you will need to ring manufacturers and ask them about data that they've got on things. We've rung, we've rung manufacturers for chemotherapy, ex- expiry dates, what to do in temperature excursion, how many drops are in automised airdrops for your information is 83 drops and and loads of other things they've got loads of data on their on their products and remember that's why the yellow card is so important see how beautiful pharmacy is it just links together in every single way you report your yellow card interactions or reactions that you see and it just adds to the databases of these manufacturers and that will help patients down the line And that is our journey through the SPC complete I hope you enjoyed it and if you have any questions do get in touch with us on twitter on instagram on linkedin join our telegram group so we have loads of questions and discussions fantastically riveting discussions about pharmacy and I'm not even exaggerating you've got the whole primary healthcare development team there Remember, SPCs are all set out exactly the same way. So if you know your way around a few, you should be comfortable with the rest of them. But that's my advice. Like we said before, open the BNF, but now, from now on, you've got a few months of your exam. Have a look at the SPCs for things. You'll see how different they all are. And some will annoy you, but you'll be all right with most of them. And by the time you're near the exam, you'll be a pro. And remember, all that time is going to be saved instead of rifling through the SPC in your exam you'll be you'll be like oh laser focused i need to know this and you go to the exact subsection the exact sentence and you know exactly the right answer in like five seconds or maybe like 10 but you know five minutes so join us next month when we talk about one of the most brilliantly fascinating and highly underrated topics blood and nutrition have a lovely time and get in touch if you need us in the meantime it's been lovely speaking to you i have been sana see you next month